Well, what's in a name? If I were to throw out a few names, you might be able to guess whom these names represent, even if they're in groups. How about uh, Larry, Moe, and Curly? They stand for the three. In the first service, they're not quite as sharp as you are. They th- that stands for the three wise men. All right. Uh, well, actually, I, I actually had the three stooges on my tie, and people thought I was more spiritual than I had the three wise men on my tie. But no, I had the three stooges on my, on my tie. And he's thinking about what's in a name. Well, whenever we hear the word, you know, Larry Moe and Curly or stooges, we, we know who they are and what they represent, kind of foolish, bizarre behavior. Now, I, you know, I was just thinking about those three names because uh, I, I went to this place fairly recently to pick up some chains and things like that. See if you can figure out who these people are. Manny, Moe, and Jack. Pep Boys. All right? I don't know if you've been a Pep Boys, but that's the three boys that uh, got that whole thing started. Uh, and, and maybe some of you have had the um, experience of, of looking up your own name and what it means. And, uh, of course, you can go to any language in the world and figure out, oh, I like that name, what it means better than that other name. But uh, sometimes... Uh, what happens in a, you know, kind of a, a churchy family, you, you might think, of what did it mean in the Hebrew or what did it mean in the Greek? Well, when we uh, named our kids, we kind of looked that up too as far as saying, well, what, what do we want our kids to be? How, how do we want their name to kind of maybe be a signature of what we'd like them to become? And so our first uh, son's name is, is Timothy, and Timothy means to honor God. And I've shared this with you before, when we had our other two sons, I was tempted to, to name, since I named the first one Timothy, I thought I named the second one Second Timothy and the third one Third Timothy, but I didn't think that would work too well. Uh, so we named the other boys a little bit different. Mark's name uh, means mighty warrior for God, and Matthew means gift of God or gift from God. And then our daughter, Cindy, uh, who was here in the first service, she's living in Lake uh, Arrowhead now, but uh, her name means to reflect uh, light or to bring light. And, and so that was our passion as parents, is to somehow let them or, or provide an avenue by which their name would be a signature for who they are. And really, when you think about who Jesus is, and we're pushing this, obviously, and I'm trying to push as hard as I can to get you to spend some time looking at Jesus or the names of Jesus, and that's why we prepare those readings, is for you to, to spend focused time doing so. And if you allow that cumulative effect to work in your life, it will be a real blessing for you. But, you know, Jesus is not the only one who had names in the Christmas event. I hardly even want to call it a Christmas story because sometimes when we think of story, we think of a, a story that may or may not be true. This is an event that there are other names in Christmas that I think can be helpful for us to kind of grab the heart and the meaning of what Christmas is all about. So, so I hope to do that today and, and some of the other messages. And also we're going to be taking out of the book of Luke and Lord willing, we're going to be doing a series in this gospel coming in uh, 2017 in which we'll, we'll be looking through the, the eyes and the words and experiences of Luke, uh, the truth about this Jesus. And hopefully we'll come to know him more deeply and desire to follow him more faithfully and to uh, be more in love with him because we recognize who he is. But the, but the names in Christmas are significant and names, are, of course, don't have to be significant, but if, if they're lived out, then we can kind of see a window into the life that was lived. So this morning, I, I have a, a number of things I want to share with you, but really, it's pretty simple. We're going to look at a couple in the message or the event of Christmas, and then we're going to look at a, a child 
in the event of Christmas, and hopefully we'll learn some things from it. So, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard translation of, of this part of the event of Christmas, and then uh, go back and just draw some things out from it. But it's always good to go right to the text to, to hear the Christmas story again. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. This, is, this was a unique experience, just breaking into the text for a moment for Zacharias. Um, twice a year he would go in and do his priestly service, but only one priest was given the, the privilege of going in the Holy of Holies and representing um, the people to God in this special way. So this was the height of his career in the sense that he was now in that place, and so they were all waiting outside to see um, if there was a word from him as he departed from the Holy of Holies. And while he was in there, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right to the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and what? Fear gripped him. And, you know, that, that is the common experience of every angel when he arrives on the scene. People are filled with fear. So part of the Christmas story we need to realize is not all light and, you know, you know the charm of um, the season or what we look at. Uh, there was fear and doubt and and trouble during these days when, when God finally arrived on the scene after so many years of, of silence. And when he does send a representative, there is fear. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. For you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so that as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. 
You know, sometimes we have a tendency as God's people, this is all in here for free as well. When we are supposed to speak, we all of a sudden become mute. And when we want to speak, sometimes we can't speak. And this was Zachariah's experience. Here, I mean, the joy of now knowing he's going to finally have a son, he has no one he can communicate through his voice. He has no words to speak because he is made mute because of his lack of faith. Verse 24, after these things, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So this is part of the details of the event, and, and kind, of, kind of going through the, the, the forest to see some of the trees here, I, I just want to pick out a couple things. As God shows these people to be significant parts of this, this event that happened, um, the names of the, the heroes of this story are, are reflective of even the meaning of what was going on during that time. You know, Zacharias, his name, and there's a book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, and it simply means God remembers or God has remembered. And Elizabeth, uh, most literally, you could say, uh, God is my oath. Or to put it maybe in a more way where we can kind of remember, God is my promise keeper, all right? Uh, promise keepers are not just for men. Uh, that was a kind of a, a trend uh, in our culture, uh, Christian culture, a uh, number of uh, at least probably a decade or so ago. But God is, is a promise keeper for everyone. And so let's just say, uh, uh, Zacharias, repeat after me, God has remembered. Zacharias is God has remembered. It's all right to speak in church when you get permission to, all right? Zacharias is, God has remembered. Elizabeth is, God is my oath, okay, or promise keeper. Now, what's significant about that is, is you think about learning from the names in Christmas, and particularly from a couple at Christmas, this was, this was names, these were names that at times they felt might not have been appropriate for them. And these were people who weren't skeptics in terms of what God was doing or even was um, His existence, but they were, they were, they were kind of surprised at what, what God was doing in them. And that's where most of us are at. I mean, we, we hear of all the things that are happening in the world, and sometimes we're kind of shocked by them, but when they get close to home, then it really gets our attention. And Zacharias and Elizabeth, they, they, were, they were people who had a close relationship with God. And we, we see that in verse 6 very clearly. They were both righteous in the sight of God. Um, yesterday, well, Saturday, I had an opportunity to go to Knott's. No, Friday, I had an opportunity to go to Knott's Berry Farm. Sometimes you go to Knott's Berry Farm. Have you ever gone through their tombstone where they have those, you know, the things they get right? And they're always kind of funny and interesting. You know, how would you like to have on your tombs? righteous in God's sight. That, that, that would be a pretty good uh, handle in terms of something as, as significant about, okay, you lived a life, now your life is over. How did God look at you? Well, that's how God looked at them. They were righteous in God's sight. Sometimes we can fool other people. Sometimes people think we're righteous in their sight because they don't really know who we really are, and we're hoping we're hiding well enough so they don't really know who we are. But God knows who we are, and He said they, they were righteous in His eyes. Well, how did that happen? I mean, were they somehow out of the, out of the womb better than anybody else or because of, of their 
devotion to God. They were better than anybody else. The reason they were better than anybody else, at least in terms of how God saw them, was not because they were better, because they realized God was better. The, the Bible says that anyone can become righteous if, if you come to God and, and you come to Him in faith. And we see that very clearly in Genesis 15, 6. Then he, this is Abraham, believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as what? Righteousness. And so you need to understand, again, even in the beginning of the Christmas story, realize that the gospel's there. People are saved the same way in the Old Testament as they were in the New Testament. They were saved by God's grace through faith. Believing in not their own goodness, but God's goodness. Not their righteousness, but God's righteousness. And there are really only two types of religions in the world that have different names. But there's the, there's the religion of what do I do to make it to heaven? Or what has God done so I can get there? And so there came a point in Elizabeth and Zacharias' life where they became righteous in God's sight because they believed. There's an interesting story. I, don't have, it. I have the reference there in Luke chapter 18. You had the, the religious pharisee coming to god and kind of bragging about how good he was compared to everybody else and then you had you had the the sinner describing himself to god i don't even have the right to approach you and begs for god's mercy and only one went away justified declared righteous the one who came to god humility and faith not the one who came in pride and self-righteousness and the came point both elizabeth that couple and Zacharias in the Christmas event, they, they were a righteous people in God's view because they trusted in Him. But not only were they righteous by way of faith, but they were also obedient in their walking with God. In verse 6, it says, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Because really, the, the question for us who live in, a, in America, who hear the message about Jesus often, it, it's not a... It's not so much that have we made a, a nod to God, as some people call it. You know, we, we prayed a little prayer and believe that that's all it takes. Is Well, if you really gave your life to Christ, has it made any difference? Not that you're perfect. That uses broad terms here, blamelessly in, the, in, the, in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But it really speaks about the direction of their life. They were walking down God's path. And so they, they, they had come to that place where they were obedient and they're walking with God. It, it sh- their faith showed. And this only comes as a result of faith. As, you know, in the Old Testament, it's interesting, when he would speak to people, of God would speak to people of real faith, he, he could make commandments to them that he knew that would become part of their experience. Joshua 1, 8 and 9 says this, This is the book of the law. Shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So as he wrote to Joshua, he said, I know this is going to be true of you. You're going to take this book, and it's not something that presses flowers. It's not something that it's a, it's a something on the coffee table. But it's something that you're going to look at, and, and, and your heart's desire is to follow it. That's when we know we have true faith. Not that we do it perfectly, but that's that our heart's desire. And then he says this, I'm going to be faithful to you, for then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you you can know that you're righteous in God's sight if you put your trust in Him, and you can know that you're walking with Him 
if you recognize that wherever you go, God goes with you. You know, that's really, that message is for everyone. And, and Elizabeth and Zacharias had experienced that. However, we need to recognize this. Not only were they righteous in God's sight, they were obedient walking with God, they were also struggling in their understanding of God. Now, if you come this morning and there's some things in your life that you're struggling with, you're, you're, you're at a, you're, you came to a good place. There might be loved ones in your own close family circle that, that don't know the Lord or are walking so far away from you, you wonder, are they even in the family of God? And, and maybe there's some, some reversals in your life to such a degree it's, it's hard to function. And maybe your life is filled not with so much peace, but more of despair or even depression. I was reading early this morning about, it happened a couple years ago, but they were, they were talking about this 14-year-old boy who had everything going for him. He was one step away from being an Eagle Scout. He, he did great at school. He was involved in sports. He just seemed like the most normal, above normal, from a human perspective person, and he committed suicide. Now, if you were their family or closest friends, and they, they said there, were, there was no really indication of mental illness and some trauma that you know, pushed them over the edge, but they said, how did that happen? And, of course, on a human level, they were thinking, how could they, they have prevented it? But if they had any connection with God, they were probably wondering, well, why didn't God prevent it? And so as you look at whatever, whatever trauma you've experienced or people that you know and care about experience, you are writing the Christmas story because Elizabeth and Zacharias were wondering, well, well, God, what's happened here? They were righteous in God's sight and they were blameless in their obedience to God's commandments, not perfectly, but they were, that's the direction of life. And yet God didn't seem to have shown up. Because the one thing that was immensely important to them, other than the relationship with God, is that we want to have a child. And in particularly in that culture, if you were childless, it was a statement not only of your physical inability to have children, but they, they connected the dots and said, there's got to be something wrong in your relationship with God. And so just think about it for a moment. You're looking at, what's in a name? Well, my name's Zacharias. And Zacharias means God has remembered. And I'm feeling not that God has remembered, but that God has what? Forgotten. God has forgotten me. And, I, and I've, li- and, you know, again, he was living his best to follow God. He was faithful in his service as a priest, bringing God's people to God and and recognizing that apart from the blood sacrifices, they had no way to, to meet with him until the, the Savior was to come. And yet he was childless. He struggled in his understanding of God and what he was doing and not doing. Or how about Elizabeth? And in some ways, in that culture, she would have as much shame, if not more shame. And she was childless. God is my oath, God is my promise keeper. Where's the blessing here? Where, as you said to Joshua, hey, I'll, I'll make you successful and prosperous. Well, I'm just looking for a child. And so is that pre-Christmas event, I guess you could say, it didn't look, it didn't look so merry. 
because they felt God had forgotten them and God was not there for the promise of the petitions of their prayers being answered. Now, the good side of that story, of course, is that then God does show up for them and announces through an angel, and he's filled with fear at the presence of the angel, and then what he tells them sounds too good to be what? True. And sometimes when things are too good to be true, people just don't believe it. And there isn't anything that sounds too good, more good, too good to be true than the message of Christmas, is it? We're saying that God became man for the express purpose of saving those who are lost and bring them into the family of God so they might experience the goodness and greatness and forgiveness of God. It doesn't get any better. That's just foolishness, unless it's true. And God gave him, through the angel, Gabriel, an object lesson. Okay, when you doubt God, you've been a believer, you've been faithful, but I'm just going to be object lesson. When God shows up, and he knew it was an angel, but he doubted what God had said to the angel. Maybe you didn't hear it right when God spoke to you. He said, okay, I'll give you an object lesson. You're going to be silent for nine months. I'm sure he didn't forget (laughs) what God had done with him. And then you have Elizabeth. So overwhelmed and excited about it, but she doesn't even show herself for five months because she doesn't want people to say, well, are you just putting on a little bit of weight? Until it's obvious it wasn't just weight. It wasn't a little bit too much Christmas you know, food. It was, that's a baby in your womb. So God did remember them, and God was faithful to their promise. Not on their time frame, but on his time frame. And if it's not now, it'll be an eternity where God is faithful to every single promise he has given to us. But, but there's another. There, that's a couple in Christmas. How, how about, how about the, the child in Christmas? And we're not talking about the child. We're talking about a child, but a pretty important child. That was, that was the answer to their prayers. It was a, 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 baby, a baby. And that baby was a boy. And, and the name was going to be John. Now, I, I, I didn't look at any statistical analysis on this, but you know, some authors said that the, the, a common practice was which isn't true in many families, is to call the first male child after the what? After the father, right? And so they were thinking, this is Zachariah Jr. But no, 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 it's not going to be Zachariah, it's going to be John. And they're thinking, John, you know, that's not his grandfather's name or his, you know, on the, on the dad's side or the mom's side or whatever they're trying. But why, why John? Well, John's name means God is gracious. And this is a season in which the grace of God is manifested. Read through the first chapter of John, and that that word grace is used multiple times, even at the birth of Jesus. We don't normally think about the grace of God at the birth of Jesus, but it's a picture of that. God is gracious. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because it pictures, again, who this little baby in in the womb of Elizabeth was and the significance of what God can do in a little life that matures into be what God wants it to be. Let's look at John, Luke chapter 1, verse 15. It says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, we, we live in a culture where people like to be great. They, they look up to people who are great. Whatever that is, whether it's in the academic world or whether it be in the celebrity world, which is probably more where people gravitate toward maybe music or um, cinema, you know, whatever it might be, or people who come to political power 
or whatever, or, or those athletically that perform so much better than somebody else, and they're, they're great because they can they do something, which is always interesting to me. Just because you can hit a little, bait, a little round ball with stitching around it better than somebody else, I don't think necessarily you have a better idea on, on politics than somebody who doesn't hit a round ball, you know. But often that's what they'll do. They'll take a sports person and they'll ask them all things about what it means to be a good parent or what it means to be well, who should we vote for or what, what they think they ought to be in social issues. And they might, but I don't think that's a necessarily a, um, a, uh, a, a resume to, to be able to talk on everything out there. But because they're famous, people want to hear what famous people say. But that's, that's not why he was great. Because we know that his... Um, he didn't make particularly a fashion statement in, in Israel, did he? You know, that leather belt didn't catch on. You know, the, 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 the worn material he would wear on his body and that, that diet plan didn't exactly catch either. But what was significant, and look at the latter part of verse 15, for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And I think it's because of what it says here. Because he'll be, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. How do you want to be great in God's eyes? The same way John was. He was great because of what, was God, what, what God was doing in him. You know, I, I, I'm not particularly one who is enamored by the whole self-worth, self-image, self-identity emphasis in our culture. I, I, I think it's, it can be healthy to kind of wrestle with who you are and what life is all about. But really, you know whose um, who's esteem or worth or identity I want? I want, it, I want it in God. And, and why, why John was great, because even in the womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and every one of us here is significant if, if Christ lives within you. The Bible says, for, for if anyone is in Christ, he is a what kind of creature? A new creature. It, it, it doesn't matter what kind of background we have. It's, if we're in Christ, we're, we're new people. The Bible talks about those outside Christ is just simply natural. But those in Christ have a spiritual dimension that the other people have no idea about. And, and when we become a child of God, we become part of the body of Christ. We're on the winning team. And so as we, as we look at the greatness of John, it was, it, was not, it was not so much about anything else other than who he knew. And who dwelled within him. He was in the Holy Spirit. But I think even more cl clear throughout John's life is found in verse 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, he was great because of what God was doing in him, but he was great because of what God was doing through him. He had a message to get out that was so great that it made him great. And then when Jesus said in Matthew 1, 11, 11, Truly I say to you, and of course whenever he says truly, he's about to say something that's too good to be true, right? Say truly, truly, or just here he says, truly I say to you, among them, those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So either he is equal to the greatest person in the Old Testament, or he's actually even greater than anybody in the Old, in the Old Testament. And there's some pretty significant people in the Old Testament that you could say that that person's pretty great, because look, look, look what God did in him. Okay, well, 
and through him. Enoch, remember in Genesis, Enoch walked with God, and God was so impressed with Enoch, he said, just come on up here. Took him right to heaven. How about Noah? I mean, the whole world was filled with wickedness, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God saved him when he took out the whole planet. And Enoch and Noah aren't greater than John the Baptist. How about Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel? How about Moses, the lawgiver and leader of of the people out of the Exodus? How about David, the greatest king? How about Solomon, the wisest man? How about Elijah and Elisha, the miracle workers that you can't even count how many things he did? And it says that John the Baptist was greater than them, or at least as great as them. Well, why? We don't know of any miracles he did that I can think of. he He didn't write down a new set of laws. Jesus did that. You know, he wasn't preserved over everybody else, but what did he do? He had a message to prepare the way for people to be able to see Jesus clearly. But what's interesting in this verse in Matthew eleven eleven, again, the, the story, what we learn from the names of Christmas, is he goes on and says this, Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, who's he speaking about? He's speaking about us who know him. And so we, in terms of what God can do through us, can be greater than even John the Baptist is great, as great, if not greater than anybody in the Old Testament, because we, we possess the clarity of the message of who Jesus is, and we give that message to others. The word gospel means good news. There isn't anything gooder than that good news. And if we get that message out in, in, in in the arena where we live, where the people in our relational world, and as we proclaim that message and live that message out, I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than that because what can God can do through us, through our giving, through our prayers, through our service, through our lifestyle, but through our words and desiring people to come and know faith here and around the world, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any greater than that because greatness is not only what God is doing in us, but through us. And the only way you can describe that, that that just has to be a gracious act of God. And and John had the privilege of simply preparing the way for people to see Jesus. And that's our privilege. And he didn't get stuck up with it. He said, you know, I don't even even feel like I should be able to fasten his his sandals. I mean, obviously, Jesus is, is, is the story. And we have the privilege of getting that story out. And, and no matter what we do for a living or whether we're still working or retired or whatever it might be, us being part of that is, is, allows us to be involved in the greatest message this world has ever heard. So let me ask you, are you ready for Christmas? You know, did anybody notice there were some winds last this over this weekend? You know, I, I live uh, what's I live in Lake Forest, a couple miles from here, and and I live in the forest part of Lake Forest. I mean, there's eucalyptus trees everywhere, all right. And so when you get the winds, let me tell you, my my, my house looks like in my yards looks like World War Three. It's just everywhere, all right. You know, and, and as you as you think about that, you go. Oh, i got to clean up all that, you know. Alice, will you get out there and up on the roof and uh, get that done? Okay. It, you know, we have, to, we, have to, we have to live in a world that's got all kinds of things going on. But let me, let me just tell you, where our significance is, is not what happens to us or around us. It's 
what God does through us. Be a part of being involved in that which is the greatest thing this world has ever known. First of all, to believe in the message and get the message out. Let's pray. Father, uh, we've had the opportunity to reflect upon the cross as we went to the communion table, but and we've had the opportunity to, to look at how this all began uh, in terms of arriving here on this earth as, as we think that sometimes, um, even when we don't believe it, that you haven't forgotten us, that you do remember, that even though at times we feel those promises aren't being experienced by our, our own life, that you always is, are faithful. But Father, that what we want to close this service with is to to just really plead with you that everyone in this place has experienced your grace. The Bible says that for by grace, God's goodness, God's enabling power, God's, good, God's forgiving um, message, that for by God's grace we can be saved. Not by works, but by, by faith. And Father, we just ask that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, they might just humbly come to you and say, Lord, I, I want to know you personally. I want to follow you with all that I am. I want to experience your forgiveness. I want to know you and your grace. And then, Father, for all of us, Father, we pray that we might just never look at ourselves as insignificant, because if we know you, you are in us, and then you want to work through us. Help us with whatever we have, just to be faithful, to, to pray for others, to give unto you, to express the message to others, invite people to know about Jesus, and to participate in that which will account and count for eternity. Help us not only to be ready for Christmas, but for the rest of our lives, might we be filled with your grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing. And